you think Colorado should be able to do what it's doing? No, I think it's up to the states, yeah. I'm a states person. I think it should be up to the states, absolutely. Well, you better let your own attorney general know, Mr. President. Somebody. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii, which is still there today. On 88.5 KAKU, glad you're still with us, Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ 90.1. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN 94.7. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ 97.3. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950. KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet. It's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and many other fine affiliates. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling, action packed adventure that we call what do we call it, Des? The Bradcast. We do indeed. That, of course, <laughs> is Desi Doyen, our producer. Well, the uh, DOJ and the DHS released a report today, incredibly uh, tweeting. Three out of four individuals convicted of international terrorism and terrorism-related offenses were foreign-born. Wow, sounds scary. No wonder we got to do something about illegal immigration. And as Donald Trump is now in the process of doing, trying to restrict legal immigration as well, apparently, if we are to take the... Department of Justice at their word. Uh, we got to stop uh, legal immigrants from countries that Donald Trump believes to be s-holes or s-houses, depending on which admission of Trump's disturbingly racist comments you choose to acknowledge today. As made during a uh, bipartisan meeting last week at the White House on a deal to prevent the deportation of hundreds of thousands of people who came here as immigrants with their parents through no fault of their own, as children who have been living here now for years and years who know no other home but the U.S. But uh, three out of four individuals convicted of terrorism-related offenses were foreign-born, the DOJ and the DHS tell us today. Scary. But you will be shocked to learn or maybe not so shocked to learn that the DOJ and DHS are apparently 
wildly misleading the public now and doing little more than the political bidding of the president or of perhaps a similarly racist and anti-immigration attorney general by the name of Jeff Sessions. As Daniel Dale of the Toronto Star points out on Twitter today, citing citing the report, um, uh, an article at Huffington Post by Justice reporter Ryan Riley, who was our guest on this show last week, um, to discuss his reporting on this. Most terror attacks carried out by domestic terrorists are not classified under the law as terror attacks at all, even though they obviously are. That due to the arcane way that federal and state statutes handle terror attacks carried out by domestic terrorists, and that in turn allowed the DOJ to mislead the public about all of this. As Dale notes, Dan Dale notes, uh, in response to the DOJ's new report, quote, this is misleading stuff. As a Justice Department terrorism official explained this week, terroristic acts by American white people usually don't qualify as terrorism under the law because terrorism law is focused on foreigners. That's right. That's how the law is written. So uh, Dan Dale goes on to cite U.S. government uh, report, for example, from April of 2017, finds that of 85 deadly U.S. terror attacks since 9-11, far right-wing extremists were responsible for 62 of them, Islamic terrorists, uh, just 23. Okay, I just want to hear those numbers yeah. again. So of 85 De- deadly... Deadly U.S. terror attacks since 9-11, far-right extremists carried out 62 of them. So out of 85, yeah. they did 62. Right. And yet, the way they have taken these uh, statistics by focusing on... They were able to throw out a lot of crimes, which are clearly terrorist uh, uh, attacks, but they were you know, uh, charged with hate crimes rather than terror-related crimes. So that's how they allowed them to put out this statistics. Oh, three or four terror attacks are from foreign-born agents. So uh, Dan Dale's use of those quotes from uh, from that previous report is a bit more accurate, even though that overstates Islamic terrorism as compared to that carried out by domestic white guys with guns. As we also noted at the end of Friday's show, some statistics by Conrad Hackett, uh, the associate uh, director at Pew Research, who uh, notes that Americans killed annually now by all Islamic jihadist terrorist attacks are nine, just nine per year. That compared to 21 who are killed by armed toddlers in this country or 69 by uh, lawnmowers or 737 Americans apparently killed by falling out of bed. So just nine Islamic jihadist terrorists, and yet the DOJ is out there trying to convince people that we've got a problem with uh, foreign-born people in this country. And oh yes, what they didn't mention, the uh, chances of being shot by another American in this country each year, well, each year 11,737 Americans are shot by other Americans in this country. So while lawmakers in D.C. are now facing another uh, ticking clock this week, another one of their own making to pass a budget 
or extend the current one for a few more weeks to buy time again to uh, avoid a government shutdown, which will occur if they can't come up with a deal, even as Trump's own self-created deadline for beginning the deportation of those uh, dreamers, those DACA kids, is now set to begin in March, thanks to his lifting of protection and and those non-criminal kids of immigrants. Uh, the, the DOJ is out there misleading the public about immigration, about terror statistics, because that's what our DOJ apparently now does. They are also misleading the country about statistics and facts that have to do with legalized marijuana in states around the country. As they're trying to roll the clock back, they're threatening to roll back Obama-era protections for state laws that finally legalized pot for either medicinal or recreational use in a bunch of states. Now they are threatening to upend what had been a tidal wave of decriminalization nationwide and that both uh, has been serving to decrease crime in those states and increase much needed uh, state tax revenue around the country. So we'll be joined uh, by an expert to talk about that, an expert in marijuana legislation momentarily. To discuss the effect of Jeff Sessions' surprise announcement at the uh, at the DOJ after the first of the year, declaring a plan new crackdown on federal marijuana laws. Desi Doyen, you have been warned. I know. It's just so weird to me because, as you mentioned, this was a stable regime that had been working just fine across all these states and had all of these coincident benefits like the raising of tax revenue, the lowering of crime rates. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's it's also on in contradiction of state laws. This is what kind of drives me crazy about it. These are states' rights guys. You know, claiming we should leave this or that up to the states, unless it's stuff they don't want to leave up to the states. Uh, So anyway, we'll talk about all of that and what effect that may have uh, on states that are moving, finally moving away from decades long prohibition laws against pot. Uh, In the meantime, if all of that is not reminder enough that elections have consequences, it is both the end and the beginning of the legislative sessions in New Jersey which uh, now officially has a new Democratic governor and in Virginia, where Republicans were able to game their way into barely retaining what had been a huge majority in the uh, Republican majority in the state's House of Delegates following a wipeout of an election for them last November. In that election, Democrats won uh, statewide 55 to 45. But nonetheless, thanks to gerrymandering by Republicans and a couple of vote counting tricks, And wrong ballots given to voters that allowed the GOP to hang on to the barest of majorities in the House of Delegates, which now appears to be enough to keep real gun safety, gun safety reform from moving forward in Virginia. But let's start in New Jersey, where we have some good news for New Jerseyans and fans of uh, democracy alike. Um, It is over. It is over. The Chris Christie era is officially over today. As AP notes, New Jersey said farewell, and that's putting it nicely, to blunt-talking Republican Governor Chris Christie as a wealthy former Obama administration diplomat and businessman was sworn in as the Garden State's newest governor. Democrat Phil Murphy took the oath of office on Tuesday at a ceremony in Trenton as Christie returns to life as a private citizen. After two terms as governor and nearly a decade as the state's U.S. attorney, Murphy said the inauguration represents more than a transfer of power. 
He said it's going to be a celebration of all that's right about our state and our uniting to build a stronger and fairer New Jersey. Christie, a friend and one-time advisor to Donald Trump, has uh, hard right-wing views on taxes. He opposed marijuana legislation. He fought with labor unions over public pensions and education spending. Murphy, on the other hand, built his campaign around undoing the Trump administration's efforts on health care, on immigration, on taxes, and he promises to raise taxes on millionaires and to legalize recreational marijuana. Uh, he allies himself with unions. He says he's going to increase pension pay uh, payments and school aid. That will be a welcome relief for those unions and those uh, schools, those teachers who Chris Christie went to war with over the past eight years. He is, of course, Christie, uh, deeply unpopular on his way out the door. His approval rating is now in the teens, in the teens across New Jersey. Uh, that, uh, shockingly enough, after his uh, huge popularity uh, as recently as 2012, uh, after Superstorm Stand Sandy hit, when he had the temerity to actually work with then-President Barack Obama and the federal government for the good of his constituents. Crazy idea, I know. Uh, but he, he uh, had won re-election overwhelmingly in 2013, he looked like he was going to uh, be a front runner for president of the United States. But all of that fell apart after the George Washington Bridge scandal. His own presidential run failed. His popularity at home began to wane. Uh, he did offer, however, one last gift to New Jersey on his way out the door, uh, an actual gift and one that uh, most Republicans who hope to run for office again are too cowardly to do for fear of upsetting their benefactors at the terrorist enabling NRA. Uh, not that Christie really had much of a choice here, given how popular this legislation was, but it is now illegal in New Jersey to sell or possess a bump stock, the firearm accessory that was allegedly used by the gunman in Las Vegas uh, in that massacre last year. Governor Chris Christie, before leaving office on Tuesday, signed a Democratic-sponsored bill on Monday, on Martin Luther King Day, outlawing the devices which can be affixed to uh, semi-automatic rifles to allow them to fire bullets like an automatic weapon, like a machine gun. Christie took action on more than 150 bills on his final day in office. But he made no statement on the bump stock legislation, which he signed, coward, uh, which uh, takes effect immediately. And this is not just a ban on sales, by the way. This is a full ban on, on ownership. You can't even oh, have one of these things. On possession as well? Yeah, that's right. Wow. Uh, yeah, the NRA's ridiculous and... Uh, deadly terms would uh, characterize someone like Chris Christie now, Republican Chris Christie, to be a gun grabber <laughs> because they're actually taking these things away. Anyone who owns a bump stock or a trigger crank, which is a, another type of device that does the same thing, they now have 90 days until April 15 to surrender those uh, devices to law enforcement. Retailers have just 30 days to hand them over. Sale or possession of a bump stock is now a third-degree crime. It carries a sentence of three to five years in prison, a fine up to $15,000 or both. So that's thanks to that gun grabber, 
Chris Christie. Wow, what do you know? Yeah, um, they were already restricted, by the way, in the state in, in New Jersey. You could own one, but you could not put it on a weapon. You couldn't use it. You couldn't use it. You couldn't even have it around. You couldn't have it in the vicinity of a weapon. So this law now outright bans them. That, after the shooter in uh, Las Vegas, you'll recall, on October 1, that was only last October, left 58 people dead and more than 500 injured. He had 12 bump stocks in his hotel room. And uh, that ignited a debate over these devices. Republicans in the U.S. Congress had pretended for a time, at least until folks got distracted a few hours later, uh, that they were interested in banning them. Uh, so uh, on on that, uh, on signing this bill, I think Chris Christie ha- really, in truth, had no choice. The Democratic-controlled state Senate voted 28 to 0. So I believe that means they had a veto-proof majority. Yeah, 28 to 0 uh, with the 12 abstentions to pass this bill. The Democratic-controlled assembly, state assembly voted 60 to 0 to pass it. But with Dems in control and a Democratic uh, a Democrat headed to the executive mansion now in New Jersey, the writing was on the wall in that state, at least on that measure. The consequences of elections, if you will. By contrast, uh, there is Virginia, where Republicans were able to hang on to control of the state legislature, even after getting thumped by voters at the ballot box in November when all 100 seats were up for reelection. There, uh, because Republicans were able to hang on to the uh, to control of the House of Delegates there by just two seats, which some would be justified in regarding as stolen elections. Uh, there, the attempt to institute long overdue gun safety measures is still being blocked by Republicans in the legislature, which just began their new session. That, despite the uh, new Democratic governor Ralph Northam, who made a pitch for gun control. At a Capitol Square rally on Monday afternoon in Virginia, according to the Richmond Times-Dispatch. But much of his firearm agenda died on the same day, Monday morning, in the Republican-controlled Senate committee. A Democratic bill to require universal background checks for gun purchases. This is a key component of Northam's gun agenda and wildly popular, by the way among Democrats, among Republicans, and even among gun-owning NRA members who all support background checks, uh, universal background checks from anywhere from 80 to 90 percent support among all of those groups. That was defeated in the state Senate's uh, Justice Committee on Monday. Another Northam-backed bill to allow localities to ban firearms at permitted events which uh, this bill had arisen out of uh, the the violent white supremacist rally in Charlottesville last year. That also failed to get through the Republican majority committees in Virginia. So uh, also there, by the way, so much for small government. Republicans you know, pretend to believe in small government, but they're willing to ban even localities from barring firearms at certain events for public safety. The Senate did, however, approve Senate Bill 1, uh, which would ban bump stocks. So there is potentially some good news in Virginia. We'll see if that holds uh, over in the House. Uh, The committee reported the bill 11 to 4. 
So that will now go to another Senate finance, uh, another Senate committee, the Senate Finance Committee. So there are four members, by the way, of that Senate committee who oppose even banning devices that allow anyone to create machine guns at home. Make them yourself at home. And they can uh, and they can do so without going through any background check whatsoever, thanks to those same Virginia lawmakers. By the way, no background checks. Uh, the guy they had uh, a woman uh, testified who was there, a Virginia woman who testified who was at that Las Vegas massacre fighting for her life, saw a, a, a bullet uh, graze her aunt's skull. Uh, it was dripping blood down her face, but it just grazed her. So I think she's OK. Uh, she said if bump stocks were banned, I believe we would not have lost so many that night. The uh, shooter would not have been able to fire eleven hundred rounds in just minutes. So what I started to say was why he was able to buy that many rounds without a check from anyone. Eleven hundred rounds. You can shoot a lot of deer with eleven hundred rounds and boy, you can do it quickly if you got a bump stock. But that is another issue that uh, Republicans don't seem to give a damn about, at least for now, in the state of Virginia. So it's going to take another election or so to change that in the state of Virginia. But uh, but we are getting there. If all of that doesn't remind you of the need to make sure you are registered to vote this year and have everything you need to be able to cast your vote and to make sure that everyone you know has done the same or will do the same, perhaps our next story will. Uh, despite the now broad majority of all Americans that want marijuana to finally be decriminalized, and despite the Obama DOJ's relaxation of federal anti-marijuana laws in states where voters and legislators have democratically determined to make it lawfully available, Despite all of that, Donald Trump's AG, Jeff Sessions, and his Department of Justice recently announced an effort to crack down, even in states where it's now uh, lawfully and without much more than positive consequences being sold. But that scheme, like so many more by this administration, does not seem to be going over well with voters or with lawmakers, even Republican ones. That story is next on the broadcast as we're joined by Mike Lazuski of the Drug Policy Alliance. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. No, 
don't look back. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Just after the turn of the year, the U.S. Department of Justice and its Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced a plan to rescind Obama-era law enforcement guidance that had allowed legal marijuana to thrive in states across the country, boosting state revenue coffers along with it. In their statement at the time, the DOJ said this return to the rule of law is also a return of trust and local control to federal prosecutors. Neat trick, that. Federal prosecutors who know where and how to deploy Justice Department resources most effectively to reduce violent crime, stem the tide of the drug crisis, and dismantle criminal gangs. In the release, Sessions said that the DOJ's previous guidance under Obama, quote, undermines the rule of law and the ability of law enforcement to enforce the nation's laws. Dozens of states around the country have chosen to allow marijuana to be sold for medicinal use, and now six states have fully legalized marijuana for recreational use. That after California began allowing it for recreational use out here on January 1. Sessions said that the new memo on federal marijuana enforcement, which essentially overturns the Obama-era guidance known as the Cole Memo, simply directs all U.S. attorneys to use previously established prosecutorial principles that provide them all the necessary tools to disrupt criminal organizations, tackle the growing drug crisis, and thwart violent crime across the country. You know, all of that violent crime that occurs due to medicinal and recreational marijuana dispensaries. Following the announcement, which uh, suggested that past assertions from folks like Jeff Sessions claiming to support states' rights only applied to certain states' rights. I guess only those rights that he felt like being in support of. Uh, In any event, Sessions stated that the new guidance would let federal prosecutors where pot is legal decide how aggressively to enforce federal marijuana law. That was a direct contradiction of President Trump's own earlier promise of leaving the issue up to states. But the pushback against the DOJ announcement was swift, even from a number of Republican legislators. Republican Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado, where fully legalized recreational marijuana has been an enormous boon to the state's revenue base for several years now, blasted the new administration policy issued with no advance warning whatsoever after the new year. Gardner charged that the move, quote, contradicts what Attorney General Jeff Sessions told me prior to his confirmation. Prior to his confirmation, then-Senator Sessions said that he didn't have any plans to, uh, told me there were no plans to reverse the Cole Memorandum. Then-Senator Sessions told me that marijuana simply wasn't going to be on President Trump's agenda. That's why I will be putting today a hold on every single nomination from the Department of Justice until Attorney General Jeff Sessions lives up to the commitment that he made to me in my confirmation, in my pre-confirmation meeting with him. So, uh, Cory Gardner, Republican Senator of Colorado, none too happy with this uh, turn of events. 
Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, another Republican, says that she had, quote, repeatedly discouraged Attorney General Sessions from taking this action, adding on her Facebook page that the move was, quote, disruptive to state regulatory regimes and was regrettable. Kentucky's Republican Senator Rand Paul also challenged what he said was a state's rights issue, as did Colorado Republican Congressman Mike Kaufman, who challenged what he called uh, federal overreach of the U.S. Constitution's Interstate Commerce Clause, noting that the decision to legalize marijuana in Colorado was made by the voters of Colorado and only applies within the boundaries of our state. He added that Colorado had every right to legalize marijuana and said he would do everything I can to protect that right against the power of an overreaching federal government. Sessions, for his part, has uh, said as recently as last year that marijuana was, quote, only slightly less awful than heroin. Donald Trump's personal views, however, have been uh, somewhat more unclear. He has stated repeatedly in the past that cannabis legalization should be left up to the states and not infringed upon by the federal government. And I would add that he pretends to be really, really mad at Jeff Sessions right now for a host of other stuff, particularly his recusal from the Team Trump Russia investigation. So I would ask, what's the holdup, Mr. President? Are you going to allow your underlings to defy your awesomeness, your stable geniusness, and otherwise scoff at your efforts to make America great again? So, uh, yeah, what happens next at this point? With the votes of just those three Senate Republicans I mentioned alone, that would be more than enough to pass a bill tomorrow in the U.S. Senate with the 49 Democrats in the upper chamber to ensure that states get to decide their own marijuana policy. Or they could even legalize it nationally. Imagine that. And end decades of prohibition and the ridiculous, costly, and racially biased enforcement of federal marijuana laws all across the country. They could do all of that if they wanted to. They could do it today in the U.S. Senate, it seems. And I suspect Donald Trump would likely sign it. So what's the holdup, particularly for those supposedly states' rights-loving Republicans in the House and the Senate? Here to discuss where we are and where all of this goes next or doesn't is Mike Lazuski. He's an expert on marijuana policy and regulations and a federal marijuana lobbyist who serves as a policy advisor to the Drug Policy Alliance, which works to advance policies that best reduce the harms of both drug use and drug prohibition, and to ensure that the use and regulation of drugs are grounded in science, there's an idea, compassion, health, and human rights. Mike played a key role in the passage and ongoing renewal of the federal Rohrbacher Amendment, which I hope we'll talk about in a minute, to protect state medicinal marijuana programs. Mike Lazuski, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you joining us. Uh, before we discuss where this does or doesn't go under Jeff Sessions and the Trump administration, what is what is the so-called Obama-era coal memo that had, un, until now, been the basis for federal law enforcement guidance on, on state marijuana laws for several years? Uh, how, how, was, uh, and how was that supposed to work? So the coal memo was originally issued... Uh, under the Obama administration in the summer of 2013, 
it had uh, eight prongs to it uh, that said, if, you know, if a state's uh, marijuana law uh, abides by these eight principles, mm-hmm. it's not going to be an enforcement priority for federal prosecutors. Um, so this uh, document uh, gave great confidence to uh, both investors and state lawmakers alike. And, you know, we've really seen the, uh, the marijuana industry and the laws that have um, enabled them have really matured a lot ever since the, uh, the inception of this memo. It's facilitated a lot of growth in uh, the industry. Um, however, the, the memo itself is actually just prosecutorial guidance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, at any time, uh, U.S. attorneys uh, were free to deviate uh, from it. Um, and in fact, that is how we got the good decisions from the Rohrabacher Amendment that protects the state medical marijuana programs was because there were, in fact, a couple of prosecutions that took place while the, the Cole Memo was in effect. But what it did was set a general guideline and a general principle for U.S. attorneys to follow. And thankfully, they did follow it uh, for the most part. And it allowed the industry to flourish. So the Cole Memo did not bar prosecution against uh, marijuana, trafficking across uh, state lines and so forth. It just sort of prioritized. It basically said, hey, if the state has uh, a a legal regime in place, then uh, we we should essentially leave them alone and allow them to, to do their business. Is that essentially correct? That, yeah, that's the basics. So what does uh, Jeff Sessions and the DOJ, what do they now plan to do differently in contradiction of the Cole Memo, and, and have we seen any direct uh, effect of that yet in action? Uh, so for the most part, it remains uh, to be seen. Um, you know, like I said a, a moment ago, it, it, the Cole Memo was just guidance, so it was mm-hmm. never binding. But by removing it, Sessions has really given the green light uh, to U.S. attorneys uh, throughout the country to say, if you want to uh, you know, prosecute against uh, state marijuana conduct, mm-hmm. uh, you have our back. You have our backing. And so we really haven't seen that materialize yet, although um, I believe on Friday, the U.S. attorney in Oregon, uh, Billy Williams, issued an uh, op-ed piece that basically said, stated his concerns about the Oregon marijuana program and that he's going to be convening a summit of stakeholders, you know, whether that includes people who support marijuana reform Mm -hmm. and the the industry in Oregon remains to be seen, because usually when the feds put together these types of things, it's usually just the opposition voices. Uh, But, you know, there is sort of this, um, I don't know if I would uh, call it an amassing of the troops, but this was sort of the first Mm -hmm. um, response we've seen from a U.S. attorney uh, you know that could hint at some some uh, some sort of enforcement action. And and if, Oregon is a full legalization state, full recreational use state, correct? That is correct. They have, and it's it's online and operational mm-hmm. uh, at this point. So uh, you know they have they have a program, a uh, state regulated program for both medical and uh, adult use. Is uh, Sessions, of course, uh, cites gang activity, violent crime as justification for. Uh, this potential crackdown, is there any legitimate need, uh, as you see, other than what seems to be sort of Jeff Sessions' long-standing animus against marijuana and, and pot smokers, is there any legitimate need uh, to reverse the previous Obama-era guidance on any of this, as you see it? Uh, from our perspective, no. Uh, you know, if, if someone was using 
a state marijuana law to to shield some sort of bad activity, they're clearly going to be in violation of the state mm-hmm. law because none of these state laws are, you know, most of them are very, very strict in the, the type of activity that they permit businesses to engage in. And if anyone is using this for some sort of front, uh, it's rather foolish because you know, there's so much oversight, you're likely going to get caught rather quickly. Um, so, you know, there's really no need for additional federal prosecution. If anyone is violating, you know, or using a mm-hmm. state marijuana law for money laundering or to, to, to hide gang activity or, or, you know, that sort of thing, they're going to be in violation of state law. The, the actions are going to be prosecutable at the state level. Um, so it's, it's really, um, you know, addressing a concern that doesn't uh, actually exist unless you have uh, some sort of hysterical views about marijuana. And if there was a need for it, if the uh, state wasn't uh, taking action, there's nothing under the previous guidance, the the Cole memo, uh, Obama or Cole memo, that would prevent uh, the feds from taking action in any event. Is there if they saw something that was not being uh, uh, taken care of under the previous guidance? That, that's correct. Now, with data available now, uh, we've had this legalization of cannabis for uh, both medicinal and now recreational use if, over a number of years now. Have we learned one way or another uh, if crime has increased, decreased, et cetera, now that we have data in relation to these new policies in the various states? Uh, the, the data is uh, you know, still fairly scant, but there really isn't any data to support the sky is falling type of notion mm-hmm. that that crime is, is taking root in the, these states. You know, if anything, Washington State, Oregon, Colorado, they rank very uh, high in terms of uh, quality of life whenever you see those types of ratings come out and, and have only done better in recent years. So the notion that, uh, you know, a marijuana law is going to somehow uh, harm the fabric of a state's uh, you know community and quality of life the, the evidence just isn't there is there uh, is it too early yet to know if there has been any, any sort of documented decline in uh, the black market for pots for pot in those states that have legalized uh, you know to, to be honest I don't know what, mm-hmm. what the uh, the data is on that I know that there are some concerns in some of the states that allow, adults to also cultivate their own uh, marijuana, that that has, can sometimes uh, create some, some black market activity, also uh, perhaps overproduction in states. But these are things that could be handled through regulation and local law enforcement. Uh, they're, they're not concerns that should uh, trigger federal DEA agents coming in and raiding uh, businesses. And presumably now, any uh, increases in state revenues from uh, from taxes and, and so forth uh, on the industry, uh, that increases the tax base, presumably, uh, you know, unless legalization has suddenly created a whole bunch of pot users, I would I would suspect that the uh, increased revenue would be money that was that might have otherwise gone to the black market. Uh, have we learned anything about that uh, data wise as far as uh, the amount of money, the increase uh, or I guess decrease to uh, state revenues uh, in the tax base under these new laws? Yeah, the, these programs have turned out to be uh, wonderful for generating uh, state tax revenue. Uh, uh, Washington State, Colorado, Oregon, they've all reported revenue in the hundreds of millions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, So it, this isn't something that is going to cure a state's budget woes, but it's going to help, uh, both in terms of the money it's pulling in 
but also the, the law enforcement resources, the, the jail resources, the court resources that don't have to go into to prosecuting uh, low-level marijuana cases. You mentioned that uh, the, that uh, a prosecutor in Oregon who was looking at convening a, a conference or a, a panel, a forum of some sort on this. But has there been has the DOJ walked back any of this since their initial statement after the after the new year uh, and, and the subsequent blowback that that came from, as I say, even a lot of uh, a lot of Jeff Sessions's fellow Republicans on this? Yeah, nothing has been walked back, but we have, other than uh, from this U.S. attorney in Oregon, we haven't seen any sort of expansion upon it, or mm-hmm. really even, um, you know, no one in Congress has celebrated uh, sessions re- uh, rescinding the Cole memo. Mm-hmm. All the, the voices from Congress that spoke out about it had all been very, very critical. Uh, you know, only a handful of uh, local uh, fraternal orders of police came out in support of the move. So, you know, it was very, very minimal in terms of the, the support for uh, the rescission. Uh, but so far, we haven't seen anything uh, official or uh, behind the scenes that's really, you know, it, uh, mm-hmm. moving the the DOJ position further than what, when they did, rescinded the memo. I, 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 it feels to me like it kind of landed with a thud to a certain extent after <laughs> yeah. sessions came out. I don't know if I'm if I'm just reading into it, uh, but it feels like it landed with a thud. I mentioned there was three Senate Republicans. Uh, there may be more now, but I know there were certainly at least three Republicans. Uh, and and then the you know very so-called conservative members like Mike Kaufman over in the House who have all pushed back on this. Uh, why don't those you know as a as a lobbyist as someone who has worked with uh, the members on this? Why don't those three Senate Republicans? I mean that would be enough if they joined with Democrats to pass a bill to simply end this decades-long mess. They could end it tomorrow. Um, you know, Sessions seems to want to make things worse, but there, you know, if folks like Murkowski and uh, Gardner in in Colorado and and Rand Paul in Colorado and so forth, if if they're so unhappy about this, <clears throat> why don't they introduce a bill, work with uh, Democrats who I suspect would come on board and just end this decades-long nightmare at this point, or are they already working towards doing that, Mike? Uh, I, yeah, there is some work that's going on uh, towards that, and you know the Senate traditionally uh, takes its time more than the House. You know, in the House, there's a couple dozen uh, marijuana reform bills, and mm-hmm. it, it's great that we have that much support. But it's you know it, it's a little bit jumbled over there. The Senate prefers to try to pick a, an approach that they think they can win on. You know, a lot of legislation rarely gets introduced in the Senate. Um, for the sake of um, messaging, it's usually if a, if a senator's going to put something out there, it's because they intend to, to push it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think something like that is, is in the works. However, the, the biggest hurdle with getting a bill that, that uh, could end the federal marijuana prohibition once and for all, it, it's less a matter of getting that majority of votes. We think we could be there. You know, that remains to be seen. But we're, we're fairly confident we're, we're either there with the votes or close to it. Uh, but it's more a matter of uh, who controls the Judiciary Committee in both the House and the Senate. And as long as Chuck Grassley uh, controls mm-hmm. the Senate Judiciary Committee, as long as Bob Goodlot is in the Republican uh, House um, Judiciary Committee, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult to, to get anything passed because they can uh, essentially block any uh, federal marijuana prohibition uh, uh, reform bill. 
um, from, mm-hmm. from getting heard. Now, um, in the Senate side, you know, it's looking like the 2018 elections could, um, could you know, cause a, a, a flip in the Senate and, you know, the, uh, the Dems take over. Uh, you know, that reshuffling of the deck could be helpful. You know, if it's if it's Dianne Feinstein who ends up chairing the, the, the committee, we could still be in trouble. But at least reshuffling the deck, we would have something new to work with. On the House side, we know we're getting a reshuffling of the deck because Bob Goodlot's retiring. Mm-hmm. And next in line was another opponent, Daryl Issa, but he's retiring. Right. So we have a really good shot at, you know, at least with the next reshuffling of the deck in the House for the next session, that... We, we could get the, a chair who allows a bill to come forward, and then we could work the process, and we think, you know, we, we could develop the votes that way. Is it, uh, is it fair to say that uh, the, the problem is not necessarily support from the, uh, really from either caucus, Republican or Democrat, but more from the leadership, uh, at least uh, 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 on the Republican side right now, that prevents these bills from moving forward? In other words, if there were bills that were brought out, wouldn't there be support, really, at this point in both the U.S. House and Senate for passage, but the the, the gatekeepers, if you will, are keeping those uh, measures from moving forward? That, that's accurate. You know, I think you have probably pretty close to a 50-50 split in the Republican Party mm-hmm. um, in Congress as to, uh, you know, whether or not they'd be willing to, to vote for states' rights on marijuana versus letting their old drug war instincts kick in mm-hmm. and, and voting against it. And the divide on that being your younger Republicans and your more libertarian Republicans are the ones who would be uh, supportive of us, but the older, uh, more establishment Republicans take that more traditional, uh, tough-on-crime type of approach. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who can control the committees. They're the ones who control what legislation goes through. So, um, you know, uh, that's why the 2018 elections are going to be so uh, crucial to the future of marijuana reform, because whether it's a shift in um, which party controls each chamber, or if it's just voting out the old guard and getting some new Republicans in, either way would be uh, helpful towards uh, ending federal marijuana prohibition. And and yet, um, California Republican Congress member uh, Dana Rohrbacher, he is no spring chicken, and I, I can't normally imagine supporting anything from him, frankly, but this issue does make for some very strange bedfellows. Uh, in We've got just a few minutes left here, a couple of things I want to hit. What is, very quickly, the Rohrbacher Amendment that I know you have worked as a lobbyist uh, to, to move forward? Okay, so the uh, the Rohrbacher Amendment, when we first passed it, Sam Farr, California congressman, was the Democrat on it. Uh, now it's uh, Earl Blumenauer. But what it does is that it uh, prevents the Department of Justice from spending any money going after state medical marijuana programs mm-hmm. and the people operating under them. Uh, so as long as you're abiding by your uh, state medical marijuana law, you can't be prosecuted in federal court. And if the federal government wants to, to attempt that, you're at least entitled to um, an evidentiary hearing where they have to prove you were violating state law before they could continue with the federal prosecution. So and right that, now, yeah, has that passed? Medical marijuana is in a good. Yes, it's been in effect since 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to get it renewed again. Um, you know, and this gets into appropriations uh, issues. You know, we're currently uh, under a continuing resolution uh, that runs through January 19th. 
uh, we're looking at that probably getting extended a few more weeks. Uh, so the, the amendment, uh, whenever there's a continuing resolution, all the amendments that are in the old bill, including Rohrbacher, will be preserved. Uh, we think the prospects are excellent at preserving it. Uh, and there's actually an effort to try to expand it to include uh, adult use. So basically, it would just be striking the word medical mm. from the amendment. We don't know if we can pull that off um, for this next appropriations bill, uh, but the one following that, um, which could take effect in October, um, that one, we, we are, we're very optimistic that uh, or at least more optimistic than ever before that we could expand it to include adult use. And so speaking of uh, spending money on all of this, uh, I'm wondering, I know it's very early, we're in the first few weeks of full recreational legalization uh, out here. I live out in, in California. I haven't noticed much of a change, frankly, though uh, even before it uh, became legal for recreational use on January 1, I believe we had more literally more medical pot dispensaries out here than we have Starbucks. Um, but uh, there is still this problem of, uh, as I understand it, of, of these dispensaries, what they do with their money, how they can, uh, you know, d- deposit their 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 cash without fall, uh, running afoul of federal banking laws. There has been talk of a so-called green bank out here, developing a green bank out here in, in California to handle financial transactions for those in the marijuana business. Um, can you explain what a green bank might be and very quickly what it is that, uh, you know, dispensary owners, I guess medical or recreational at this point, uh, what their challenges are uh, when it comes to banking? Well, yeah, the, the big challenge uh, right now with, with banking is marijuana businesses, are not allowed to get uh, full access to banking services. And in fact, there's a similar uh, memo to the the coal memo that still is in effect for banking. So the U.S. Treasury uh, memo, that that was the one that uh, enabled uh, banks to uh, at least partially uh, get into the uh, marijuana business uh, area. Um, That guidance is still in effect. And uh, from what we understand, the Treasury is not planning on uh, revoking uh, that guidance. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, that, that banking guidance uh, is still there. I know uh, several states are looking at uh, innovative approaches um, with you know, whether these are uh, state-run credit unions um, or, you know, uh, that have, or banks that have very specific charters uh, regarding marijuana. Uh, I know that you know some, this is part of the whole laboratory of democracy type thing, and states are taking different approaches, and I'm not up mm-hmm. to speed on all of them exactly, uh, but it, it's definitely uh, uh, one of the uh, the issues that's uh, facing uh, uh, cannabis businesses. In addition, uh, before I let you go here, Mike Lazuski, in addition to six states that have now fully legalized, uh, do you have any idea where else is a recreational marijuana expected to happen in the coming year, and will it, uh, will this be on still more ballots uh, this November, to your knowledge? Uh, well, we... Uh, just saw the passage in the Vermont Senate of a uh, legalization bill uh, there. I'm not up to speed on all the details if that includes retail stores, mm-hmm. uh, but at the very least, it allows uh, adults to possess and, and grow their own um, and for non-medical purposes. So uh, even after the Cole Memo has been rescinded, states are still undeterred and moving forward. 
there's a, a bill in New Hampshire that I think is pretty similar. It's passed through one chamber. Unlike Vermont, this one doesn't have the support of the government, so it's li- unlikely to pass. But I don't believe there's going to be any adult use uh, ballot measures mm-hmm. in uh, 2018. There may be one uh, in Maryland if the Maryland legislature puts it on a referendum. But I think we'll be seeing uh, medical initiatives in uh, Oklahoma uh, and Utah at a minimum. Wow. Uh, and there, there could possibly be some more uh, states that, uh, that try to get in. Wow. Oklahoma and Utah, uh, Mike, it sounds like uh, the industry itself and lawmakers do not seem particularly cowed by whatever the hell it was that Jeff Sessions was trying to do a few weeks ago um, and are just moving forward with this thing. I, I, I don't see anything that stops it at this point. Is that a fair characterization? Uh, it, it would be very, very difficult to, to get the genie back in the bottle at this point, uh, especially seeing a good number of Republicans as well as uh, states uh, you know, continuing to move forward right after the, 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 the Sessions announcement. So, um, you know, it, it really shows that Sessions is, is alone on an island uh, with this and, you know, has very few supporters. And, and I think the writing is on the wall to just about everyone that this is this is going to happen, whether you like it or not. So, you know, it's more, I think, more and more, even with uh, conservative legislators, it's more a matter of uh, let's do this right rather than like, let's try to stop this. Mike Lazuski is a uh, federal marijuana lobbyist and an expert on marijuana policy and regulations. He advises the good folks at drugpolicy.org. That's the website for the Drug Policy Alliance. And you can find him on the Twitters if you can figure out how to spell his name, where he is Mike, just Mike Lazuski. That's L-I-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I. Mike, really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Brad. All right, a quick break, and we are back with uh, Running Late. So some just some closing thoughts after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Oh, I get by Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Desi Doyen and I have been thinking over the weekend. You know, with we're going to be cleaning up, obviously, messes and disasters from this Trump administration for years. Yes. In this country, around the world, everywhere yes. else. Uh, I think they will be cleaned up, of course, unless he does something, uh, you know, in the coming years, uh, presuming he's still in office, starts a war on the Korean Peninsula. But I've been happy that much of what he's attempted to do over this past year, he's been blocked. Yeah. He hasn't gotten away with it. Yeah, we're lucky that he's incompetent and that (laughs) some of the uh, institutions that we have are actually stepping up and putting blocks in the way. Well, and this is one of the things, you know, it was, uh, I think we've all realized that a lot of the things that we thought were rules or laws when he took office turned out to just be norms and could just be, you know, violated by him. 
But when it comes to actual rules and actual laws, there is a procedure that you have to go through. And you can't just declare it by fiat, as he's tried to in a lot of cases, as uh, Jeff Sessions is suggesting he's going to do at the Justice Department. There are lawmakers who don't like that, who will stop them. There are voters who will vote against it. There are laws that uh, keep that from happening. There are courts that are willing to step up. Now, we'll see what happens once all of his... uh, uh, judicial appointees uh, get you know firmly embedded in the federal court system. But up till now, um, a lot of his worst excesses have been stopped by lawmakers, courts, the press, the media shining a light on this and uh, by voters and uh, protesters. So uh, it, it occurs to me that this is a good thing that this keeps the worst of his excesses from, uh, you know, just moving forward as he thought they could. On the other hand, those are still those are some of the same things that also make it difficult to pass good legislation. This is true. Uh, you know, like health care, which took decades to get passed. Monumental di- effort. A monumental effort. Once it got passed, it was, you know, terribly watered down. Uh, had all of these things in it for Republicans and for the uh, lobbyists and the health insurance industry. Immediately went into court so that the states that uh, the Republican states could block it. And and parts of it were taken away. So that's the other side. So it's good. You know, we we complain that things don't happen fast enough and don't, uh, you know, that Obama didn't pass a good enough health care bill and there is good reason to complain about that absolutely uh but on the other things uh, on the other hand those things that make it so difficult to pass those laws are the same things that right now are stopping donald trump at least where he is being stopped yes so it's a blessing and a curse (laughs) shall we say um anyway thinking about over that uh that over the uh over the over the weekend uh for whatever it's worth and it's tough. It's tough to get stuff done in this country, but maybe that's a good thing. At least maybe we're finding that out right now. All right. Uh, thank you, Desi Doyen, our producer. And my thanks to my guest today, Mike Lazuski of the Drug Policy Alliance, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. And my thanks, as ever, to all of those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us try to continue to do our part on your public airwaves as long as we possibly can. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Thanks to those of you who have already stopped by there recently. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yes, I get by.